Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name's Harold Nickel, and this, of course, is news from the world of Agile. From Forbes Technology comes a story about the benefits of using Agile software development with the title, Benefits of Using Agile Software Development. Among the benefits the authors cite are fast feedback, the ability to change quickly, identify problems early, the method allows both programmers and customers the chance to see the benefits of their labor sooner than later. And like all of these stories in the new segment, there is a link for you to follow to read the whole thing on renmelberg.com. And another article from Forbes, contributing writer Patrick Spencer reviews a book and interviews the writer. The book is called Hacking Marketing and was written by Scott Brinker. Brinker's book focuses on agile marketing as a management methodology. The idea according to Brinker, centers on one to four week sprints in which a small cross-functional team works on tasks aligned to a larger marketing effort. At the end of each sprint, the teams have the opportunity to review, analyze, and iteratively move to the next set of prioritized work in the next sprint. The advantage to this methodology is that marketing can better adapt to the increasingly fast-moving pace of the modern market. And again, this is from Forbes with a link. Well, how can CIOs make the most of DevOps? Well, the writer of this article from ZDNet has quite a few ideas, including measure success, find the right business cases, recognize that finding good people is always tough, think outside the box, and get a champion at the executive level. He's got quite a few more, and you will want to read this, as DevOps is really very popular, if not just trendy, in the Agile world now. It focuses on cooperation, it being DevOps, and collaboration between software developers and other more operationally focused IT professionals. It is closely related to the iterative and efficient techniques used in Agile and Lean methodologies. Well, that'll do it for this week's version of News from the World of Agile. Stay tuned next for the interview segment with Ren Melberg, where she will be discussing continuous integration right here on The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. This week on the interview segment of the program, we will talk to Ren about continuous integration in Agile. According to Martin Fowler of ThoughtWorks, continuous integration is a software development practice that requires team members to integrate their work frequently. With lots of code writers all working on the same product but doing so separately, this might yield as many versions of code as there are code writers. And Ren, I guess at the start, it sounds like the need for continuous integration is really a quality issue. Lots of lots of programmers working on the same code, but each introducing conflicts and, and bugs along the way. Is this right? Yes and no, because I hope they're not um, introducing uh, bugs and conflicts along the way. That's kind of the point of Continuous integration is to avoid that. Right. Right. Um, so we, and, and what it means is 
we're continuously integrating our code with the existing code base mm-hmm. and also within the team and across teams. Okay. Generally, we integrate first within the team. Mm-hmm. So often teams will have their own dev environment. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then they usually will integrate at a minimum of once a day, usually more often mm-hmm. than that. Um, and then they integrate across teams, and at the same time, they're integrating with the existing code base. And that's when you go into your integration environment. And um, there may have been just a bit of hyperbole in that first question. <laughs> so. <laughs> But um, before the advent of continuous integration, wasn't there a a playbook or a a recipe for avoiding these, I guess, ongoing possibilities of of bad code by well-intentioned but maybe not very effective code writers? Yeah, it was called uh, Big Bang Version Control. Okay. So we wouldn't be introducing small changes incrementally and iteratively. Mm-hmm. Instead, we would do one huge release. Okay. And often um, that can mean that we're completely changing your code base. Mm-hmm. And you basically have to overwrite what you had previously. Or we're changing a portion of the application, and then you're overriding that portion of the application. Um, but either way, there it was a pretty significant amount of change and in, in, at a code level that was being introduced, and it was managed through version control. And so that's how we got all those numbered versions. Mm-hmm. And you'd have 1.0, and then you'd have 1.01, and so on and so on and so forth until it got to the point that we said we have introduced enough changes that we roll it to 2. And 2, it was usually our way of saying, okay, this is uh, a significant change from 1. It's material enough that we have to treat, we're going to treat it as if it's a brand new code base. Oh wow, that um, that sounds devilishly hard. It it was, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you know we have all those Microsoft stories when they would roll out a new version of Windows, and everyone would say, "Don't get the first one." Oh yeah, um, because that was always buggy. Oh yeah. So wait until they release a couple of patches, which is the point whatever number, Um, wait until you get to like .03 or 4, and then buy it, (laughs) because by that point, then enough of the bugs have been resolved. That's right. Yeah, kind of, um, you know, being a pioneer in those spaces was never a good idea. Um, Yeah, and and it was very um, expensive to produce, Um, and sometimes could have as was a consequence for other software companies a very detrimental impact on your relationship with your customers. And the only reason Microsoft got away with it was because they were the only game in town. What else were you going to do? Um, and they knew that. And yeah. people, and everybody knew it, right? It's like, if you were in a monopoly, well, we'd be right. going somewhere else, Microsoft. Well, that's right. Or a functional monopoly. Um, and... That's why they got away with it. But that's also why we have so many jokes about Microsoft. Yeah, I'm afraid that they kind of earned that. And the <laughs> the continuous integration of Agile 
from what I understand, is the production of what they call a clean build of the code. And as you said, it was several times a day as a, as a fail-safe. Errors get caught sooner than later and are easier to fix. But at the same time, this sounds really time-consuming and even a little potentially confusing. Is it? Um, it shouldn't be either if you're doing it correctly. So the first thing to, to clarify, I think, is that when we do continuous integration, so I have new code and I want to check it into the main branch. Mm-hmm. It has to be tested and go through a continuous integration testing before it's accepted into the branch. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't pass any all the tests, then it's failed out and it comes back to me to rectify it. It never gets into the branch. Okay. So that's that's a very important first step to understand is that the code has to be tested before it's accepted into the branch. And that's how we reduce the defects that are introduced in. Um, the second thing that's really critical and I didn't get to is that integration testing should be all automated. Okay. So, And that it should happen very quickly. And there's great tools out there to do that. The most common right now is Git Jenkins. Git is one thing, Jenkins, with Chef. Mm-hmm. Um, that it seems to be the, the most popular right now. And I say right now because new tools for this are being developed all the time. And those all started as open source, and you can still get open source versions of them, um, or you can pay for higher-end um, versions um, or even proprietary versions where you can do some of your own customizations. Um, but they all do the same thing. Chef is a great way of um, of controlling the code base integration um, along with Git and Jenkins visualizes it for you. So you get a stop sign read. It says green, it passed, red, not so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yellow, we found some things we think you should take a look at. Okay. And Chef is a cool name too. Well, they and all of their stuff is actually, there's Chef and Kitchen and a few other things. <laughs> Waffle. We've got some great names <laughs> of, <laughs> of tools um, in this particular particular world. But I hope you understand that, you know, to get rid of the confusion, you don't check in the code mm-hmm. to the branch and then test it. You have to test it first. That's always a good idea. It's sort of like um, proofreading your homework. That's the only analogy that comes to my brain. But yeah, I I totally get it. Well, let's talk about um, some common sources of integration errors. What what are they? A lot of times it's when we um, inadvertently step on each other's code. Okay. So you'll have more than one person um, modifying a particular component of the code at the same time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's why we need tools to check in and check out the code so you mm-hmm. can avoid that. Um, and sometimes... <clears throat> We'll write something in one part of the code that has an impact on another part of the code, and we create an, an, an unintentional consequence. Right. That's probably also, those are the two most common 
that I've seen. Um, so the first one I call stepping on each other's coat. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then the other one is, is unintended links okay. or unintended loops. Um, and it's just we reference another part of the code um, and create an unintentional an unintended action. Okay. Yeah, that that also kind of seems like with stepping on each other's code, um, it seems like that, I guess, depending on the personalities of the code writers involved, that this could be a place for, you know, disagreements and rancor and a lot of wasted effort. But I really hope I'm I'm wrong about this. So am I? Um, it can be, but usually what I find is the root cause is that the teams are not, and the, and the engineers are not communicating with each other. Okay. So that is why when we look at Agile, there are so many places that we create and build into the process communication. Okay. From the stand-up to every single ceremony, including in our scaled agile methodologies, we have, you know, ceremonies. So, mm -hmm. you know, built-in rituals for communication. And that's when those things kind of happen because really what it is is it's misunderstanding and miscommunication. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why when I'm coaching organizations, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, senior leaders in teams or, you know, whatever, I'm looking for that misalignment. Okay. Because that means that something is broken in the communication chain. Um, so we got to get that resolved. That's what Scrum Masters should be listening for, but I also believe all team members should be. So you should be listening to each other and when you need to ask clarifying questions, make sure that you understand where your team members or another team is going to be working in, in the code. Mm -hmm. Specifically, where in the code base are they going to be working to avoid those kind of conflicts? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and waste, because it does become waste. Because remember, waste is something we can't learn from. That's exactly right. Right? That's exactly right. It's um, always interesting um, to find the different ways that um, Agile helps bring people together. And I was curious if continuous integration, is that a standard practice in Agile? Um, in some parts of the House of Agile, yes. In others, no. Um, so I'll be more specific. Okay. Continuous integration comes just from extreme programming. Okay. It was really picked up and um, been heavily promoted by Lean and then the scaled Agile methodologies like SAFE. Mm -hmm. And basically, SAFE has gone, I think, the furthest and said, we can't scale if you can't do continuous integration. And you'll actually hear people say, you know, you can't scale crap. Well, that's right. And basically, that just means if you've got bad um, code integration practices, or I shouldn't say bad, but just ineffective, right. you can't scale that. Because right. what you're scaling is crap. <laughs> you're just going to get a lot more crap. Um, I like to go to it from a quality angle as well and remind senior leaders 
that you you can't put good code on top of bad code. Yeah, that's really well said. And so when we're looking at continuous integration, that's what we're really saying is we're making sure that we're building quality into every single step, every single line of code. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're not trying to scale graph and we're not trying to put good code on a new code on top of bad code. We make sure that what we're doing meets our quality standards and is in good shape before we push it to the next level and definitely before we push it to production. Now, where it isn't emphasized mm-hmm. is things like Scrum. Okay. Right. Scrum doesn't really concern itself um, with XP. It does say, hey, you should look at some of these extreme programming practices and you should borrow them while they make sense. But Scrum doesn't prescribe it at okay. all. Um, and, you know, these scaled agile methodologies that I've worked with, I'll just tell you, if they don't incorporate extreme programming at the team and at the team-to-team level, then you probably shouldn't use that methodology because okay. you're going to, you're going to, you're going to wind up scaling crap and and no one really wants to do that. Yeah. It's, um, it's never a good idea to pile crap on top of good stuff. And in that spirit, the uh, the agile practice of frequent feedback, communications, teamwork, I think all of those can or should help smooth over any of these potential conflicts or crap stacking or Absolutely, because what's more fast than checking in your code, having an automated integration test, and it tells you right away, usually within seconds, Mm -hmm. if your code passed or didn't. Well, that's right. And I mean, that that's some serious frequent feedback and communication, not to mention teamwork, because the other thing it's telling it's telling you is you didn't screw up somebody else's work. Well, and that's important, right? Absolutely. We can't we can't first do no harm is my other thing that we tell people. First do no harm. Yeah. When you're going in there, you know, your first obligation as soon as you start opening up the code, right, is to first do no harm. Do not mess up the regression testing. Yeah. And to put uh, it in a more specific technical context, you have an obligation to not screw up the regression tests yeah. and not to screw up other people's work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, uh, you know, don't stack your, your bad work on top of my good work. And, and um, that takes a toll on people emotionally as well as um, time out of the work, time out of the work day to, Right. Unscrew up somebody else's well, and it's stuff. Very, exactly. And it's very, un, it's very frustrating. Um, it's why Agile, re, you know, emphasizes a sense of accountability at a team level. Mm-hmm. So that we don't get to those blinders that come with individual performance. Well, I'm just going to focus in on what I'm doing, damn the consequences to everybody else, because I can't see those consequences anyways. Yeah. Where when we're working in a team and also when we're working in an agile environment where we have continuous integration, those blinders are stripped away. And we can see the consequences that our work is having 
to our, the rest of our team and also to the total code base. Yes. Because we're getting that immediate feedback and integration. Yeah, and it's kind of with the, you know, thinking about that that person who's only focused on, on what they're doing, that say if you were an author and you wrote a book, there's going to be hopefully fewer plot holes and at the end of the book it should come together and make sense. But if six people try to write a book and each one of them writes a different chapter, it's going to be full of plot holes and characters who speak in different voices and all kind of other literary horrors that are going to make the book just impossible to edit, never mind read. How How is this different from a team of code writers who are also working separately? Good question, good analogy. And because how it's different is that the code of team writer, the team of code writers, excuse mm-hmm. me, are writing each chapter together. Okay. So they're not writing the chapters individually. They're writing okay. the chapters together. And they're planning the book and the chapters together. So they'll have um, a well-articulated plan for each chapter and have more of a roadmap for the book as a whole. And then they execute each chapter together. At the end of each chapter, we'll reflect on their performance together and make any adjustments before going on to the next one. Okay. So maybe, Ren, a a better analogy is... um for our continuous integration effort, it's more like an orchestra that they've got lots of instruments and a conductor who leads them through the music. It sounds maybe more like instead of a, a writing assignment, that continuous integration is to code writing what the conductor is to the orchestra. Is that on target? I think that's a much better analogy. And in this case, like, um, the DevOps would be the conductor mm-hmm. and the music is actually the continuous integration and how, so I think when you were talking about that, I started to actually hear a really good jazz orchestra in my head because you're going to have people who are going to, at different points, introduce something new wow. that the other people haven't heard of yet or how and hadn't integrated and they have to, quickly respond to that. When you have a well-orchestrated team, which I like the word orchestrated, so I like your example. Um, A well-orchestrated team, they're able to do that seamlessly with each other. And someone can introduce a new idea or new results from an experiment or new code or a new way of bifurcating the code or new toggles or, you know, different things. And the rest of the orchestra is able to look at that, understand it, and quickly start integrating and responding to it. Yeah, and I'm glad that the analogy worked because it's here on the Guardian podcast with Ren Melberg where science and art come together um, (laughs) like no other podcast. So let's talk about source code. Does someone keep up with all the files used to build a product, or is there a way to automate this? 
We do try to automate that as much as possible, um, but it's not always possible to do a full automation. There is some degree of human intervention, mm-hmm. and we definitely need humans to uh, create the systems right. for automating that. Um, and often, so... We haven't, we haven't talked about this. We talked about this previously. So if you want to refer back to the systems team versus DevOps team podcast, mm-hmm. um, we talk about how those two teams work together to orchestrate the core code base. Mm-hmm. And it's really the dev team's responsibility to make sure that for the dev teams, they have the most up-to-date code all available to them all the time. So DevOps will be constantly looking to refresh it, keeping that fresh, keeping it current, um, because when it's out of date, then what we're doing is we're putting new code on top of old code, bad mm-hmm. code. And that's that's a no-no, right? So we want to keep um, that code base, that single branch preferably, mm-hmm. fresh as much as possible. And typically that's the DevOps team. Again, there are models where the systems team may own that. But the important part is that it's a team outside of the development teams okay. that are responsible for co- coordinating those code bases. And that includes in different environments. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned earlier, we often have a dev environment. We can have integration environments. We can different have different um, UAT or end-to-end testing. We can have performance testing, staging, and prod production, mm-hmm. right? So that's a lot of <laughs> environments, Sorry. too, Sorry. that we need to think about. And that's often why we have a team outside of the development teams who are responsible for the care and maintenance and the feeding of those environments to make sure that, like I said, before that the code base mm-hmm. is current, but also to make sure that they're stable. Okay. Because you yeah. don't want to lose an environment. I've been there. I've worked with clients who couldn't keep their test environments and their dev environments up. Mm-hmm. The waste is extraordinary. You don't have to be that big of, an, in, of a company before the cost hits the millions. Wow. So you need to keep those environments safe and and up. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, nobody can, not many people can afford too many million-dollar mistakes. Right, and that's also one of the reasons why you want to automate it as much as possible. So if you are having some stability issues, you can spin up a new environment and move some of your dev teams over there and get them going while you stabilize the envir- other environment, and then you have automated process to bring them back together. Okay. And I guess, too, Ren, it seems like that without some kind of a resource or methodology in place to keep original or single source code in place and available to the whole team that this could really get to be a jumble. Is that right? Absolutely. Especially if your organization, it doesn't have a good branching um, methodology. So branches is where I say, well, I'm going to take this part of the code and I'm going to work over here on it and I'm not going to check it in for a little while. I'm going to do my thing <laughs> and then I'll come back in and come back into the main branch later. If you get too many of those going, it becomes incredibly difficult to nearly impossible to bring everybody back into a single branch. So each organization has to have some guidelines about branching, for example. I already mentioned um, 
control and, and maintenance and feeding of your environments. Those are really critical. And then, of course, our dev tool stack. So how are we going to manage artifacts? How are we going to do automated integration testing? How are we going to monitor the environment um, like with something like Jenkins or something else, right? How are we going to do this as a whole? And we all need to be using the same tool set um, or they're meaningless. And with that in mind, let's talk about operational discipline. If one writer changes or edits or adds to the the code, it, it seems like it should be his or her responsibility to omit the old version, right? Right. And they have to make sure that they wrote it correctly um, so that when they check in the new, it overwrites the correct portion of the old. And that's part of the integration testing. That sh- it should be included in your automated integration testing. If it isn't, then you need to go back and get that added in. Um, or you're gonna, you have huge risks of creating, um, some pretty messed up code. Boy, I bet. And I guess too, Ren, you, you mentioned a few of these earlier. With the time we've got left, can you tell us about the automated programs again that are available for continuous integration and particularly if there's one you prefer over the other? I don't have a strong preference. I tend to to shy away from tools being a critical decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think how we work is more important and the tools should enable how we work. Um, what is most common, it seems, especially in larger organizations, um, and now I said that and then I just re- thought of a couple of exceptions of smaller uh, software companies that okay. are using um, Git and Jenkins, mm-hmm. um, some of them with or without Chef or an equivalent to Chef, mm-hmm. but the, the three of those will create a really beautifully um, a really beautiful continuous integration um, process for you because you have your automated testing um, and you have some really good ways of orchestrating your environments and monitoring your environments in a near real-time, very visual way. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's just what why people like them, those three. Um, they're easy to use. They're easy to learn, um, relatively speaking. You know, if you don't know how to code, you're not going to think they're particularly easy to, to learn. But for most engineers, they're, they're easy to read. They're easy to learn. They're Java-based. Um, not everybody knows Java, but most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, in almost every team that I worked with, there's at least one person who knows Java, and so they can get it set up. And I've worked with clients who've implemented it and got it rolled out to all their Agile teams in weeks to a couple of months. They're really not... Most of the tools that do this work are really fairly easy to work with. They're designed by developers for developers to do this this. this specific type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that's really nice is they they meet the KISS standard, you know, keep <laughs> keep it short and sweet. And so they 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 keep the programming crisp and clean and and you know interactive and um, there's not a lot of extra stuff. Very cool. Right? I, I guess yeah. Yeah, I guess the the value or the impression that I've 
come away with after this study of continuous integration that it kind of comes down to a couple of things. The first is discipline and a commitment to integrate at least once a day by everybody on the team, which leads to multiple integrations every day. And the second is respect for the project and the product along with equal regard for the other team members, even though integrations are verified by an automated build that runs regression tests to detect integration errors as quickly as possible, it will be the people on the teams that will have to agree to and implement this approach. And when done correctly, it will lead to significantly fewer integration problems and make better and more cohesive software more quickly. If you liked this week's podcast, you can go back and listen to a whole bunch more on the Ren Melberg iTunes page or right here on her website. And she also has a SoundCloud page and links to those will be and are posted on renmelberg.com. Thanks for listening. Come back next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. Okay, we're out. Okay. That was good. Um, I was, you know, doing the out and thought, man, you really got this. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, I think Brian sent you a note about his, uh, scope of work. So, um, yep, I have a take a look at it. So, um, but, um, good luck with your schoolwork and, um, good luck with your presentation. Yeah, I'm trying to get my pre, you know, the first draft done tonight. What's been hard is I've been sick all weekend, and there's some sort of weird crud going along around. Excuse me, that's um, a low fever with some, you know, stomach issues. Oh dear! So a couple people at work had it. I had it. Um, Megan, one of the college students lives with me, she had it. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to do homework and stuff when you just don't feel well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it makes hard. you want to sleep all the time. Well. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's your body um, um, telling you it needs it needs to heal up. But yeah, a lot of days. So I'm trying to get know, caught up. Because yeah, I didn't get as much different. homework done as I really needed to. Oh, heck yeah. Well, good luck. Thank um, you. Hey, if you need somebody to proof your, your presentation, I'm happy to do it. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'll let you know. Thanks. Well, feel better. Thank you. And um, I'll uh, be in touch via email, and um, I guess I'll talk to you Monday. All right, perfect. Thanks. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.